Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? Am I coming through loud and clear? Great. Um, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be preaching to you this morning. Um, as I say all the time when I stand up here, it's not something I take lightly. And so I just uh, pray that God will give me grace and speak through me and that you may hear his voice. Amen. Um, today I'm continuing in the series that we started quite a few weeks ago now called um, As It Is in Heaven. And it's working through the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've talked, we started with the Beatitudes, uh, and then we talked about being salt and light. And then um, actually at this point, we're talking through the Lord's Prayer. We're working our way through the Lord's Prayer. And so you, uh, you'd have, if you were around, you'd have heard Al preach on our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, and then last week, I believe Nigel preached on thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. But he honed in on the center of that scripture. And we know this, uh, the Lord's Prayer really well, don't we? I mean, in primary school, I was taught to recite it. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, it's the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, were prayers that in primary school, you had to recite um, I went to primary school in somewhere called Nigeria, and it was part of the curriculum that you had to know, you know, those prayers. And so I know, I know it by heart, until I started to actually really look at it, particularly for this, um, the topic I'll be covering, and then I found that I didn't know everything I thought I knew. And I felt challenged myself as I studied this. In fact, I called Al, and I called, you know, and I met with Colin, and we had a chat, was, you know, this is quite a challenging piece of scripture. So I get all the best jobs. Um, and so as I bring this part of the Lord's Prayer to us, um, I pray that we would, everything we've talked about this morning in terms of understanding the love that God has for us and understanding the importance of his word in our lives and also understanding, I think it was really right what you shared, that God is bringing us into alignment. Yeah, that was a word that we had as a leadership team, as an eldership team, that actually God, his kingdom is coming. And so as we start to go through the Sermon on the Mount and we look, look through the Lord's Prayer, the thread is that actually God is doing a thing in and amongst and through his people. That his kingdom is coming through his people. It transformed people, transforming the world around them. Amen? And so that's the context of all of this. It starts with God wanting us to understand who we are as his people, our identity in him. That's all we are salt and we're light. And so we should be salt and light. But the essence is that we make a difference to the world that we're in. We change the flavor. Amen? As Christians, we do ridiculous things like forgive one another. Okay, that's just by way of introduction. I think it would be good to pray. Father Lord, I just want to thank you for your presence here. I want to thank you for all that's been said and done so far in this place this morning. Father, I lift myself up to you. Father, I, I pray, speak to your people. I decrease, Lord, that you may increase. may not be about my eloquence or lack of it, my knowledge or lack of it, but may this time, Father, be about your spirit doing a work in the hearts of your people, that ultimately, Father, your name may be glorified, and your people may be blessed, and your people may experience the love and the joy and the freedom that you died for, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, 
we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, it is Jesus teaching us how to pray. This, just to say that this was not a, this is how you pray as a once, one-off thing. Whenever you pray, as you pray, it's a model, it's a pattern for prayer. Amen? And so it's saying we pray this all the time, in effect. Yeah? So whenever we hear, we hear all the different elements, and it's not a, you have to recite this by rote, which I was taught in primary school, but the structure of the prayer is one that guides how we pray. So if we go to um, the scripture, please. And, and just to say, by the way, um, one of the reasons that I was challenged, and I might have said this the last time I preached here, whenever I preach and it's direct, it's the words of Jesus, I take those words very, very seriously. So it's not a Pauline doctrine or a, a Paul, Paul saying Jesus meant this or an interpretation of the gospel or any, it is, this is, these are his words. And so if he said it, he meant it, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 to 15. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, or deliver us from evil, some translations are. And, and, and forgive us our sins, or forgive us our trespasses, etc. Same concept. And then finally, verse 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin, Against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. Brothers and sisters, I didn't get that far when I read read this in primary school. Because we got to forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us, lead us from temptation, deliver us from the only one, for that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hooray! We're good. No responsibility. Yes. It didn't really stick out that as we forgive those who sin against us, actually, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So what does that mean? That's a big deal there. What is Jesus saying? You know, the, the Lord's Prayer starts with us recognizing God, focus on, focusing on God as our Father, our relationship, our identity, and then we pray that his kingdom will come and his will will be done. And then actually, he then moves on to give us our daily bread, right? But then, Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven others. This is the first time that there is a conditionality introduced. And you can miss it, yeah, if you just stop there. But when you go for that, actually, the conditionality is emphasized because Jesus says it again. And I'm thinking, God, forgiveness must mean a great deal to Jesus, right? This is a big deal to him. He wasn't kidding with this stuff. And when you think about it, actually, in the context of the cross and what Jesus gave for us to be forgiven, what he bore in himself, the death he died, he was scourged, he was ripped apart, his bones were showing through his body from the whipping, and he was crucified. 
And he suffered that for us to be forgiven. He bore our sins. He fulfilled the wrath of a just and holy God. He took all the sins on himself and God turned away from him. And the most painful part was where his father turned and he said, Father, why are you forsaking me? He bore separation from his father. He bore an immense amount of pain indescribable. The film, The Passion of the Christ, doesn't start to describe it fully. It was worse than that. I haven't seen it, I'm told. I'm too squeamish to watch that kind of stuff, really. I can imagine. So he bore all of that for us. That's the price that he paid. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the price that God paid. And he stood on a cross. And that cross signifies two things. One, the relationship with the Father and the relationship one another. Relationship to one another. Even on the cross, as Jesus suffered, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not what they do. That's an example, right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When Jesus was asked, what are the two most important commandments? He says, one, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And then the second is as important, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is why it's really serious. Um, there's another scripture that really, uh, this wasn't a one-off. When Jesus was talking about forgiveness, let's go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Listen, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their minister everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Interesting then, because it says from your heart. Because this isn't actually about a 
what you do sort of thing. It's actually it's a heart attitude. It's a heart issue. And something we've seen in all of the scripture as we've walked through the Sermon on the Mount, it talks to matters of the heart. So when you do not give your gifts in public, it's not really, because we do give gifts in public. We do pray out in public. And it's not about the act itself, it's about the heart or the attitude, the motivation. And herein again, it is. Only God knows in your heart, only God sees your heart and sees whether you forgive somebody or not. It's a heart attitude. There are many scriptures in the Bible that talk about, you know, if you have, have an offense with somebody, if you have strife with somebody and you're bringing a gift to the altar, do not give your gift. Go away and settle it and then come and give your gift. There's another scripture that says, be at peace with your wife so that your prayers will not be hindered. And in Malachi chapter 2, the scripture says, you flood my altar with your tears, but I do not hear your prayer because you've dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. So this is serious stuff. And so the question I, I, I asked myself, so are we not saved if we do not forgive others? What is Jesus saying here? It's, it's very strong stuff. Did he mean it? What does he mean? And how serious is this forgiveness stuff? I know it was costly. My forgiveness was costly. It cost Jesus everything. And so I, I did some reading. As you, you'd want your elder, if he's going to come and preach, please do some reading, yeah? Get some understanding. Get doctrinally correct. Balance the word with the word. Be under authority. Be accountable one to another in the eldership. So I'd uh, gone through that process. There are two, basically, interpretations of this scripture. There is a, a school of thought that says that if you have an unforgiving spirit... So you hold on to unforgiveness in your heart that you have not really understood the forgiveness that you have received in Christ. And so inherently you are not saved. <coughs> so that's one school of thought that Jesus is saying here, the Lord will not forgive you and so you will not be saved or you're not saved in effect. And there's another school of thought that actually says that what Jesus is talking about here is not about justification, as in you're justified before God, just as if you knew no sin, and so you are saved, but more about sanctification and growing in Christ-likeness and growing as a child of God. Because the Bible makes it clear that it's faith, by faith we are saved, by grace we are saved. We, we, as we believe, so we're saved. It's not about, you, you don't forgive somebody to be saved. Or to be forgiven in the, in the sense of coming to Christ, becoming a believer, being born again. But it certainly is about relationship. It's about our relationship with God, our fellowship with God, and our relationship with one another. Going back to the symbol of the cross. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And just to prove this, it starts with, the prayer starts with, oops, water, our Father who art in heaven. So this prayer was being made or is being made by people who are already Christians or saved, who are already in relationship with God. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, there is reference to you are salt, you are light. 
Yeah? So Jesus was talking to people who were already followers, believers. They came to listen to his teaching. So these were not people who needed to hear a call to salvation. So that's the context of this. So I believe, and we believe, that actually this scripture is not about your, whether you're saved or not, but actually it's about whether you're walking in line with God's will and plans and purposes and blessing over you, etc. Whether your relationship with God is where it should be and your relationship with others, which is what Christ died for. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Make sense? Pretty quiet. <clears throat> Let's not kid ourselves. This forgiveness thing isn't easy, right? Um, but I, I, I did something, and let me just say to, to Colin, Colin, um, don't do this. Yeah, don't do this. I thought, I, I got home and I thought, not, often when I'm preparing for a preach, I'll talk to my wife or I'll ask my wife a question or something like that. Um, and so I said to, forgiveness. <laughs> so I, I, I'm repenting before I sin. <laughs> so I said to my wife, I said, I said, Moti, would you, would you forgive me if I had an affair? Folks, it was a very short conversation. <laughs> now, this is the problem. Um, and Colin, this is why you shouldn't ask those kind of questions, because I travel a lot with work. So context, yeah? <laughs> Maybe not the sort of kind of question to ask. And, and we, you know, laughed and what is said, oh, you know, and then, oh, this is about your preach, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this, this morning, I, I'm sure it's not connected. I came out of the bathroom. Well, oh, I was just reading through your emails. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's not connected. <laughs> the good thing about this preach, actually, is if, if I offend you, if I say anything you don't like, you can practice straight away what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> yeah? Straight away. If you don't, you know, just... It's a really good... I, initially, I felt really burdened and, oh, I need to, you know, that, this needs to be done well because it's a God's people and we believe in grace and all that stuff. So what am I going to say to God's people about this thing? And then I got into it and then actually, the truth is, if it offends somebody, um, forgive me. So I've talked about... You know, the context. Jesus is talking to people who are in relationship. So what does it mean that God will not forgive you? What does that mean? The truth is, it means that God will not forgive you. Just like he said. Just as the man said. So... If, if I'm forgiven my sins as a sinner and I'm justified, just as if I knew no sin, so I'm saved, I'm heaven bound, etc. What, what does it mean that my father won't forgive me? And then I realize it's, I, if I look at the example of my son, so, forgiveness. <laughs> my son is my son, right? He's my son. By blood, DNA, all of that kind of stuff, he's my son. And even if he's, even if he's adopted, he's my son. 
You, ca- you cannot stop being my son. You, you can't cease to be my son. You can offend me and annoy me and upset me, and sometimes you do. <laughs> Just like I do you sometimes, right? We, we, know, we know how we roll. But it does not change the fact that he's my son, right? But actually, if he does offend me, there can be a break in that relationship. And what does that do for him and me? Well, actually, he, all the benefits that he would perhaps get from our relationship, the freedom he would enjoy, the joy he would have, the love he would receive, etc., etc. He would be conscious, unless he fully, truly understands grace, he may not even come to me to ask me for anything. Or if he comes to me, actually, he may come with a repentant heart and restore relationship, right? He doesn't change his position as my son, His identity, but it changes the relationship. And so what Jesus is saying here is that God will not forgive you is simply that actually God will not, God is holy, is just, is mighty, is merciful. So there is a justice of God and there is a mercy of God. And in the justice and in the mercy of God, God will not overlook the fact that you're not forgiven. The fact that you're not forgiving your brother or your sister or whomever. God will not suddenly overlook it and say it doesn't matter. So the consequences and the issues that are tied in with that unforgiveness in one's heart will continue to be played out and played through. Until such a time, like the prodigal son, we come to ourselves and realize actually there's a better way that my father has prescribed here. And we come to him for grace. And we come to him for mercy. And we come to him for strength. And in his strength and in his power, we're able to forgive. There are countless stories of amazing, from the Holocaust. Um, I, I don't know if you folks know about the Rwandan war. The genocide in Rwanda. In 1994, the president of Rwanda died in a crash. plane crash, I believe, was it a helicopter? Anyway, something that was flying. And um, suddenly, the, there was mass genocide. And in the space of 91 days, three months, over 800,000 people in one tribe of the Rwandans were killed. The Tutsis, I believe. The Hutus. Uh, yeah? The Hutus almost wiped out 75% of the Tutsi tribes. Mass killings. In there, there's actually read the story of uh, someone called Immaculate, Immaculate. A girl who, whose father sent to a minister's house. And she ran to the minister's house. And the minister hid her and I think seven other women or so in a very small toilet hid them from the killers. And she could hear through the doors the voice of someone in her school that she went to school with. And this person looking for her and calling her name, that she would be the 400th person that he would kill. But by God's grace, they couldn't find her. And she's actually described that this scripture... She felt that God said to her, forgive debtors as I have forgiven you. And then she started to pray for them. Folks, they killed her entire family by one brother. Her brothers, her sisters, her mother, her father died. 
So, I think the, God will not forgive you is that God doesn't overlook it. <coughs> I'm going to share, uh, I think it's a good place to do this. I'm going to uh, share a video with you, that, another story of um, uh, a, a woman in the States, um, her story of forgiveness. And I'll come back and draw a couple of things or so from it, and then we'll finish and then we'll, we'll pray. And locally, just one more thing. There's, there's somebody in this church, a member of our church, whose wife um, had an affair and then ultimately left him for somebody else. And he went all through the hurt and pain of that. But his testimony is actually, when, as he, when he came to Christ, as he came to Christ, and as he understood and he connected with the will of God for his life, etc., he found amazing forgiveness for her. That he can forgive and be in relationship even. Let's watch this and I'll come back up. Um, January 20th, 2005. Started out as a pretty normal day. I was a high school senior. I was concerned with applying to schools and getting into college. I had gone to basketball practice. I was the manager of the boys' varsity basketball team, and the coach had let us out of practice early that night so that we could go to the girls' basketball game. So I was on my way home to have dinner with my family and get ready for the game. I was hit by a drunk driver. He ran through an intersection and hit my car on my driver's side door. So when the car spun around and flipped, Three times it landed on its roof in a ditch and the glass shattered and the airbag is what held me in place. It was held in place between my seatbelt and the airbag. I was transported to three different hospitals within the first 12 hours. Um, the pain and emotion involved in the healing process is something that I'll never forget. I spent my spring break having surgery. Um, I missed graduation practice. Um, there were countless surgeries and procedures and hundreds of stitches and months of recovery time. I feel like my self-esteem plummeted. Every time I looked in the mirror, I saw pieces of glass and scars that were still lodged in my face, and I wouldn't go anywhere without makeup on. I constantly tried to cover it up and hide, and I, I was self-conscious. Instead of appreciating the fact that I was alive and I was able to walk and see, all I could think about was that I was the most unlucky person in the world. All I could think about was what I missed out on and days that I could never get back. I hated the man who hit me. He ruined my life and I hated him. I was filled with bitterness and resentment and he, he ruined my life. He took things away from me that I felt I couldn't get back. I missed out on my senior year of high school and every time I looked in the mirror I saw scars and I saw pain and suffering and I didn't think that I would ever be able to forgive him for that. I was voted prom queen that spring. Um, it was a moment that most 18 year old girls could dream of and all I could think of was that people only voted for me because they felt sorry for me and as I stood on stage all I could think was if people could see my scars as every camera flashed and I had applied for colleges um, 
for the fall and I was scheduled to take SAT2s the weekend after the accident and I had to withdraw my applications for my top colleges that required those scores for admission. So that fall I attended my last choice school which just caused the bitterness and resentment to increase. At the end of 2006, it was almost two years later, and I, I just knew that it was time for a change. I moved to North Carolina. I knew that I wanted to attend Hope, and I started going with a roommate of mine, and I didn't expect to feel as welcomed as I did. It wasn't long before I felt God was calling me to serve and to take a more active role. I surrounded myself with Christian friends and I started asking questions and I felt like that's when I started to grow spiritually. One of the series that I felt impacted me was the sermon series on forgiveness and Pastor Mike had talked about you know, how we were forgiven and what the power of forgiveness can do and how you can break free from that bondage and I think I learned, I learned what forgiveness was and why you should forgive, but I still didn't feel like I should forgive the man who hit me. He didn't apologize and he didn't ask for forgiveness and I didn't feel like he did, deserved it. I didn't want a relationship with him in the future, so I didn't think that, that it really applied to me. I didn't, I didn't think that of the people in my life that he was the one that I should forgive. That sermon series really made me realize the burden that I was carrying and that the bitterness and resentment that I was holding in was weighing me down and it wasn't affecting him, it wasn't hurting him, it was hurting me and it was holding me back from making lasting relationships. I felt a huge change in myself after that series and I remember telling a friend of mine that I had to start praying while I was in the shower because I would cry every time and I started to realize the power of prayer and through all of that I felt like it was God's way of saying I've got this just trust me and just put your faith in me and I feel like he wanted me to stop looking back and to start moving forward and the power of prayer was one of the ways that I felt like I could do that. 